Welcome to Investing Switzerland, frequent podcasts on the learnings and stages you need to take to get invested in Switzerland. In the first half of today's episode, Santiago and I discuss what happened with GameStop and the hedge fund market in the last weeks and what it means for those of us who want to start investing. In the second half, we discuss the fundamental principles of investing, such as goals, balance and diversity, cost and discipline, all key things you need to consider before you start investing your money. Vanguard has four principles of investing, and I like them because they're simple, everybody can understand them, and they're actually working. Principle number one, goals. You need to know what do you want to do, what is your what is your goal with those savings? You know, is it retirement? Is it I want to buy that house? Is it it doesn't have to be very specific, oh I want to buy this house for 1.1 billion with a mortgage. No, no, no. Hey Santi. Uh, while wow, since we talked last, how's it been? Pretty wild week, I must say. Um, we've seen some quite unusual moves in the stock market, some quite uh, unusual views. Um, for sure, it has been quite a, quite a tumultuous uh, couple of days, uh, not just at the stock market, but also in the press. Uh, you read a lot about it. It's, it's really, it has been crazy, and I think it's sort of the perfect reason as to why we need something like this podcast right for, for me it's both an exciting time but also really confusing and I know that a lot of people I've spoke to um, you know that are probably you know have, have my sort of knowledge on on what's going on are really confused but at the same time really excited and want to begin so um, yeah really perfect time but you know first of all what is a, a short squeeze and 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 <laughs> You know, how did all of this come, where are we on this topic of GameStop and retail investors and hedge funds? So as you might have guessed by now, we're talking about GameStop and we're talking about the insane movements in the GameStop stock, or as Elon Musk likes to call it, the GameStonk, um, which again fueled another day of insane um, market moves on, on, on GameStop stock. So, but let's 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 crawl back a bit and let's see how this whole story evolved. And everything kind of started um, when some guys on on Wall Street Bets, which is a subreddit on on Reddit, of course. Um, there's a you know there's a couple of people with certain views, and then one of those guys is um, can we swear on the podcast? Yes, oh, no, okay. absolutely. So, so his name <laughs> Deep Fucking Value, uh, and as I might guessed. Uh, Deep value investing is, is a thing. That's not something new. I mean, deep value, uh, we know, um, you know, people like uh, uh, Graham, um, certain very famous investors, they have been quite successful with value investing. So deep fucking value, his username on, on subreddit, Wall Street Bets, he's a guy who takes it to the extreme. So the whole thing started, I think it was 2019, he was posting uh, something on Reddit regarding the valuation of GameStop. GameStop, as you might know, it's a it's a well quite well known retailer, brick and mortar retailer in the U.S. Um, that is selling physical games. I, I imagine it was like the CD store back <laughs> in the day, right? Like early two thousand, late nineties. You know, if you wanted a CD, you went to the shop, and that was it. And in New Zealand, it was called Sounds. And for for purchasing games, it's GameStop. 
Exactly. And now imagine um, games are moving like as a downloadable item. Oh, I mean, nobody buys CDs and DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever it's mm -hmm. called right now. I mean, physical games, that's not a thing anymore and has not been a thing for quite some time. On top of that, retail store, like a physical store location. I mean, post I don't know what was the last time you went to one of those. I mean, yeah, that I mean, time is kind of over or not at least... Um, in, in well, you also have times. general electronic stores, right? So Also yeah. probably have a hard time. So imagine physical games, nobody buys that. Physical stores, nobody goes there. Everything is online. GameStop <laughs> has been losing money like crazy in the last couple of years. Um, so this guy says, well, yeah, maybe uh, the company has been losing money, but still the value is so insanely low. I believe in the mar I believe in the in the, in the management um, of GameStop, and I believe they can somehow turn it around and, and, and make this work. Anyway, at the same time, he's he's anal analyzing the actual short float. Gonna come to that later. But short float. We have to be careful with these terms, right? Yes. So. Short float. Let's put it very very briefly. If you if you're betting on a stock to go down. Uh, there are certain people that will short the stock. They will sell the stock, even though they don't have it. So you sell it short. Um, the short float is an indication of how much it's shorted. Let's let's leave it at that now. It's just how much it's a, it's a, uh, so stock it's a, is it's, shorted. So it's a measurement. It's yeah. a measurement of how yeah. bearish or how much people or how much yeah. money is being bet against okay. this stock. So, so, so just as a recap briefly, it's, it's a, a short float is the measurement that indicates the amount of the short on a stock, right? So it's showing, um, it's showing how much a company is shorted by hedge funds in this case, right? It gives you a relative indication yeah. of how many, not how many people, but how big the conviction is of, mm -hmm. from somebody or a group of people to make this stock go down. Yeah, and and then a short, as you said, is a, it's it's a company or it's a fund of some sort, probably a hedge fund, that is um, in in belief that the the stock will go down, so they sell it at a price expecting it to drop, and then they buy it back, and they make the value of the the drop, right? Exactly. Okay. So literally, the difference. So you you sell a stock, you mm -hmm. hope you hope you hope to buy it back cheaper. Yeah. The difference that's your profit exactly so that's very briefly maybe we'll talk about it again um, in another whole episode of going short on anything but anyway so mo one of the most shortest stocks i think it was 137 percent short float so what does that that's actually they shorted it more than shares available on the market let's not get into this but some people hedge funds were very 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 convinced this stock is going to zero even, and um, they will be able to to um, literally pocket the profits on that. Anyway, so deep fucking value, Wall Street bets, subreddit, he posted this analysis, he bought call options, long dated call options into 2021, um, and he also bought outright stock. I think back then he bought it at around seven or eight dollars. Um, so he bought, when you say he bought call options, mm -hmm. he bought the options that so when by options he bought the what was sold by these hedge funds in the belief that it was going down. No, 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 no. That's something else. Okay. <laughs> so he, call options. He just uh, call options. Just a way. It's another way of going long, um, put option, going short on a stock. It's think about it like a, 
it's like an insurance premium you pay um, mm. and if you buy a put or it's insurance or yeah a kind of a bet uh, a token that you pay if you want to make the sh make the soccer up I think I think maybe this is probably best saved for an, an episode on 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 uh, on on options. on on options and, and shorting and, and just that general topic. So maybe we best focus on sort of more a top level perspective and GameStop exactly GameStop, <laughs> and then we come to you know um, what this means for someone like myself who 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 is looking for to begin right. Of course, yeah. Because this is, I think this is what we'll find in this podcast is that we're so easily go down some rabbit hole uh, and, and, and get lost. And, um, and there's yeah. so many details and so many things that, that are happening on the market and we need to explain step exactly. by step. But back to the story and how excited it was. And you can see um, I was very excited in this week because <laughs> this is really, this is, you know, these situations are, they don't happen all the time though. They don't happen every year. Anyway, so... Short squeeze, um, we're going to come to that uh, explanation as well. I'm sure you heard it all over the news. What literally happened, um, people were betting against the stock. There's uh, a movement that started to, uh, to evolve of retail investors in Wall Street bets, the subreddit form. They basically ganged up against the hedge funds. They ganged up against the short sellers saying, okay, you know what? Yes, you may, might think uh, GameStop is going out of business. We don't care. We want to push the stock up. We want to make sure um, the, the stock goes back up because GameStop, we like the stock. So what happens at the same time, uh, another actor basically came on the stage, um, Robinhood. It's an app, a uh, super easy brokerage app in the US. Unfortunately, it's only available in the US. It's not available here. But Robinhood, in very short, it's an app. You can only download it on mobile phone. You can trade stocks for free. And they're even so aggressive that they say, hey, the first stock is on us. So that's just how they onboard people, right? That's their acquisition cost. They give you a, they give you a free stock. Anyway, Robinhood obviously is a huge player in this game because Robinhood literally democratizes trading. So it gave all those retail investors a super, super, super easy way on participating on this GameStop move. So all kinds of people, all kinds of retail investors, whether that's you know a couple of dollars, thousands of dollars, hundred thousand of dollars millions of dollars, people plunge into the stock via Robinhood, via their whatever kind of broker they had, and they literally made the hedge funds nervous because they drove up the price. And the hedge funds, looking at the price like, oh shit, we have to do something. We have to cover our shorts. We have to limit our losses. If you need to cover your short position, if you need to you know, make sure that you're not losing more, what do you do? You buy back the stock that you shorted but now you You've have to buy lost. you have to buy it back maybe at a lower at a higher price than you anticipated and what does buying a stock make on the market it drives out the drives out the price so that's a short squeeze that's literally a short squeeze it's not just retail investors hedge funds against hedge funds it's also the hedge fund who were was short in the beginning he now has to buy back the the, the stock he has to buy it on the market in order to reduce the risk on his short position, on his fund. And at the same time, he's driving up the price. So you can imagine now it's like a um, cascading move, you know, stop orders being triggered after the other. And it literally drives the price up. So what we saw last week, 
GameStop going through the roof. I think it was up 130% one day, 100% the other day, 80, 70% the next day. Just crazy moves in a, in a, in a day. And you know, you saw it all over the news. The internet was going bananas. I mean, loving the internet for this. I mean, it was literally the memes and the, the stuff. The cultural <laughs> response, yeah. It was amazing. Um, so yeah. So that's by the way, sorry, that by the way, I mean, it also made normal investors very nervous. So you saw these insane moves in those, well, let's say completely overvalued stocks because still GameStop is still GameStop. They're still retail chain selling physical games. This company by no means has the right, um, hopefully not offending anybody here, but it does not have the right to be a $40 billion company at one. At once, I think somewhere uh, in those days, and and by by investors rising the share price, this gave them also capital to now go out. And I I, I saw that they onboard or well, they hired a chief technology officer who came from I think Amazon Cloud or AWS. So that they're looking at maybe using this this money to um, to who did GameStop. Yeah, oh. I, I believe so. Um, they're, they're looking to use the extra cash or capital that they've come across to adjust their business model. Whereas before they didn't have those opportunities because the share price but was coming so we don't know that. We don't know that yet because um, I think we don't know yet whether they raise capital or not in that time. Yes, it would have been the the smart thing to do using that over overvaluation. Okay, so just because money, but okay. I'm not sure if they actually. Okay, so for, from my understanding, I always thought that. Um, you know, uh, if the share price increased, then there was uh, the business owned some of those shares and they could leverage or they could sell maybe and then leverage some of those shares in some way to, but maybe they were also just using the media as a, a chance to also get, get some attention. I also saw on Reddit that people were aggressively using the profits that they'd made <laughs> on the stocks to go and buy um, Nintendo Switches and, and these sorts of things. So it, it, it's quite, it's quite funny, but I think also what, so in the end, what we've seen here is all sorts of attention, right? So um, hedge funds have lost billions of dollars. Investors, I would say retail investors, people like you and I, um, you know, affluent early, like the people at the beginning of their, 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 their investing career have um, uh, started to make some, some, some profits. I think some people, uh, these are the ones that you don't hear about, are probably losing a lot of money <laughs> as well. Um, but what, what's sure is that as you mentioned, Robin Hood, there's these new tools out there. It's more available, um, but at the same time, it feels like a really crazy time to be beginning this, you know. And that's the nice thing, but also the problem that we have now with this situation. And like you say, it it was the gateway drug. GameStop was the gateway drug for the, let's call them, you know, amateur investor, retail investor. <laughs> For the first time, young people everywhere on the internet, because it was such a meme movement on the internet, young guys came in and was like, what is this stock market? I need to get in. I need to start investing. People are making millions of dollars. I want that too. So it draw an attention to the stock market because of the media, because of the internet. Everybody started to invest. Um, but now we're going to get to the topic. Is this the right way to start investing? Probably not. <laughs> I would say <laughs> because what we saw up until yesterday, by the way, it's still ongoing. Um, I think the day before yesterday, stock, uh, GameStop was down 40%. Yesterday, again, it was down 55%. So people are losing a lot of money right now. 
people who got in too late that so did if not you participate, if, if they you, lost a lot of money now. If you bought, I mean, for a while, for a few days there, it was averaging like what? between three, $250 and, and $350 a share for a share price, right? And now it's down to like 60 or 50 We're back so, down to 58 So someone's bought it at 350 and now it's valued at 50 They've lost 300 per share, right? Yep. Ouch. Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think this is a, a really interesting topic, right? And I think this is also ties into what we want to be talking about on this podcast, which is... I would say investing and not trading. And what I saw the last week, two weeks, I would say was more focused on trading, which is an element of investing, but it's more this short-term day-to-day um, trading, which requires you to put a lot of time and energy into it. It requires you to take bigger risks and potentially make some bigger returns. What I think we're talking about is sort of more of a long-term uh, rational approach to investing, looking at the real value of businesses, looking at the real values of a value of economies, um, and 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 investing for the long haul, and hoping to make I guess what seven percent a year instead of probably that less. one thousand, yeah, probably <laughs> less than seven percent. But in in turn, I think that that is also you know very valuable over a long term period. Absolutely. So, you know. I, Santi, now we should go into maybe some details of where I am and, 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 and where we can begin, right? So well, first, did you buy GameStop? I didn't, but I, I, I just had the account set up on Swissquote, yes. which is like... Did you think about it? I, I, I kind of... So I think were, we discussed. Well, this, is, this comes into... Exactly. Yeah. This comes into a rational decision and an emotional decision. I was highly aware that this was an emotional decision because one, I wanted to be a part of the excitement. <laughs> exactly. And two, I liked the idea of holding the line and sticking it to the man, right? And that... Uh, that so that... I knew oh, I would have lost some money, but uh, I, I was sort of emotionally interested and probably had I been set up on... on um, on Swiss quote and being a bit more active, I would have looked at buying it. And by the way, Swiss quote is the what you could say almost the equivalent to Robin Hood in Switzerland. Uh, there's obviously differences, but it's, it's as close as you're going to get. Um, it's our best option that we have here. Exactly. At least that's from my perspective. Exactly. There are a few very other basic. The other thing, sorry, is that Swiss quote didn't stop you from buying <laughs> GameStop, whereas Robin Hood did. Maybe you can explain that briefly. Yes, we didn't even go into that detail yet but that was that's another angle to the whole story right Robinhood the trading app that made it easy for everybody to get into the market and trade GameStop or whatever kind of stock and by the way also options so in the US you can actually trade option as a retail investor uh, without any accreditations or certification we'll or go into options at another point yes. yeah anyway so Robinhood Robinhood limited trading GameStop stop stocks <laughs> GameStonk? GameStonk. <laughs> and that's why he, okay, that's why he shorted it. Um, so they stopped, they stopped, so people were not allowed to trade it anymore. Uh, together also with AMC, which is a, a cinema retail company in the US, obviously nobody's going to cinemas, also big short float. People were buying AMC also. They were also buying Bed Bath & Beyond, another retailer selling you, you know, toilet paper holders and stuff like that. <laughs> Blackberry and Nokia. So you get the drift here. These are what we call now YOLO stocks or meme stocks or whatever the internet is calling it these days. But these stocks were all short squeezed up. 
and Robinhood started to limit trading in those stocks. You could literally only sell those stocks. Which is crazy. If Which they, is crazy. If, they, if they wanted to govern it correctly, they should have at least halted both um, buying and selling, right? Yet they 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 allowed the selling of mm -hmm. it, which supported those bigger hedge funds that need that you know wanted the price to drop, and that was only possible if you sell, right? And that also creates all sorts of uncertainty. I when I listened to the CEO talk about it, he gave all sorts of reasoning, like they needed the capital to uh, you know reg regulatory reasoning. But then there's this which interest. There is truth to it, but this is also shows a really, really unstable environment, and I think also bad planning on their side. And quite frankly, and and I'll say this, you know, I I don't encourage um, anyone to use such a, a platform. Um, and I think if if you want to go out and and, and research, and maybe maybe I'm too emotional about this, Cynthia, you can change my mind. But I think Interactive Brokers, which is a Swiss uh, available in Switzerland as well, also did the same. And weren't they? Didn't they have some sort of shareholder by this company called Melvin Capital or uh, this this? Uh, made, I don't. You have to sort of briefly explain <laughs> that situation because the plot thickens. It's really a house of cards, and I think it really shows the. The, the weird situation and and furthermore sorry this we forget that robin hood is free for investors retail investors so where do they make their money from very good questions and i'm uh, glad you asked <laughs> well let's let's take one by one um why is robin hood free robin hood makes money so if something's free you're the product right we heard that before um so with robin hood robin hood makes money they don't charge you anything on trading the stocks. Right? So no brokerage, nothing at all. They make money by selling your data. Like, you know, all the other companies are doing if it's free. They sell flows. They sell money flows. So they do two things. Basically, they sell to a hedge fund, Citadel. Uh, you know, fairly large hedge fund in the US. They sell to Citadel the flows, meaning they sell them um, what kind of Stocks are being traded, you know, what's interested to retail so investors. They're, they're selling them data, data on, on retail you know. investors and the people using that data or who receive that data can use it to their advantage to hedge against or bet against retail investors. Of course, that's one thing. And the other thing uh, how Robinhood makes money is they are also selling the flows. So selling flows, um, maybe just really briefly, if you trade something with a broker, that trade goes somewhere it doesn't always go straight to the stock exchange. It often goes through another broker. Citadel can act as a broker. And Citadel also um, is kind of a market maker when it comes to certain retail stocks. And what they do is basically, if you, Orlando, you, you, you input your trades, let's say you buy one GameStop. What happens, um, Robinhood gets that trade, they get that order, and they route it to a high-frequency trader like Citadel, or they route it to another hedge fund or broker. It doesn't always have to be a high-frequency um, trader. They route it there, and they can... So they like, you know, they like to get trades, because obviously the bigger they are, you know, the bigger they can play a, a bit and ask spreads on the market, and you know, we're going to get into that later. But they basically can... The bigger the trades are, the bigger they pull them, the more flows they have, the better for them. So what they can do um, is basically they can front run you in a legal way. So if they know you're going to buy a GameStop, 
they can buy GameStop. Me as a retail you. investor. Yes. Yeah. Or if a lot of people buy it. So if Robinhood or the people that sell the, this, so the people that are looking at these flows yeah. at Robinhood, so they'll look at me and, and the many other people that are mm -hmm. about to buy GameStop and, and, and they'll... Yeah, well they, I think they, not 100% sure, but I think they, they route the trades straight through. So Robinhood sure sees it, but it's, it's like an instant, instantly, right? It's instantaneous. They don't have to send something. It goes straight to Citadel. Yeah. Anyway. So weird, Robinhood somehow blocked to trade those stocks. Citadel is not just receiving data, they are also an investor in Robinhood. So Robinhood is venture-backed. Uh, I think they raised up to $2 billion by now. And they also raised money by Citadel. So a little bit of coincidence that a hedge fund that is also in good terms with Melvin Capital, Melvin Capital, a hedge fund that is being short GameStop losing billions lot, losing billions I think it came out and by the way with those new things it's always I'm always not so sure how um, um, you know how accurate that is but they they posted something that they lost on that one day 53% uh, of the funds value that's insane that's, that's crazy they can basically I mean they had to close by the way they had to close they had to get rescued by Citadel Citadel injected money into Melvin Capital Citadel injected money into Robinhood to cover um, that uh, regulatory buffer on that day. So you can see now how same, everything is kind of at the same time. They may have um, influenced Robinhood to make it more better for for their for, for the, the hedge funds that they're connected to. They may have. We, we don't, don't know. We don't know. <laughs> but the fact that only the fact of, of the matter is that um, there were certain actions taken that I think. Uh, from my perspective, my uneducated perspective, seem to have benefited um, the, the hedge funds and the uh, investment funds of, of the world and not the retail investor. Either way, it it's an interesting time. Uh, and I think uh, both the, the financial industry is really looking at this from all sides. Regulators will be looking at it too. Let's see what that means for retail investors in the future. Yep. Um, but I think hence another reason why I personally, I don't, I mean, as much as I'd like to be involved on an emotional level and I may find, you know, a small portion of my, my wealth to, to play around with that and be involved, but I'm more interested in building a long-term stable um, return on investment. So with that, we've got, you know, 15 minutes, maybe <laughs> 10 minutes. Let, let's get to the core of, of the episode and talk about, you know, the, 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 the sort of questions any investor at the, the early stage of their investing career um, should be asking themselves. and um, or, or put it the other way, let's talk about why buying GameStop is not a great way to get started. <laughs> exactly. Uh, even though, you know, in creative movement, people are now interested, people want to get into the stock market and we're here to help. We want to show you a little bit how you can get started and what are the basic basic uh, principles of how to get started. Exactly, exactly. So if we take my situation as an example, um, you know, I, I, I have what roughly, I would say for, for, for this case, 20,000 uh, Swiss francs um, in my savings that I feel comfortable investing. And on top of that, I would like to invest 2,000 francs uh, a month. Um, so, you know, that, that then is if we look at sort of what I invest over a 12-month period is 24000 as well. Um, now, you know, where do I begin? You know, what, 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 if, if you were 
if I was, maybe if that was uh, 2 million in savings and I was looking at putting 20K away uh, every month, uh, maybe I might be considered a high net worth investor then. What would you sort of advise them? And if you advise, obviously you would advise them with a very different situation, but taking that, you know, first meeting, where, where, where should, where should I begin? And, and, you know, this doesn't, for you listening, this doesn't, have, you know, you don't even need the 20,000 in savings or the 2,000 a month. This could just be you starting with, with, with 500 a month, right? And I think it's going to be a very similar situation and very similar um, advice that Santi will, will be giving me. Yeah, and, um, you know, thanks to low-cost um, brokerage companies like Robinhood, even though it's not available in Switzerland, uh, but companies like these, they allow you to to invest with a low amount of money. So, it, like you say, it doesn't really matter how much money you have. You don't need, need to be rich to participate. You don't need to be, um, you, know, you don't need to have a lot of money to to get started. So today we have quite low brokerage cost with companies like Interactive Brokers, uh, Swissquote, uh, Trading One to One. I think is another one which just came in and is quite cheap. Uh, Postfinance is also quite. Um, uh, attractive to trade. Um, bigger banks might be a little bit less attractive to trade or to get started because they have certain minimum uh, brokerage fees, which I don't And they like. don't allow so much engagement, right? Whereas with the other tools, you, it feels like I can learn a bit more as I go. Of course. Yeah. And then there's also the robots, which just take you know, a flat fee and they do the trading and the, the rebalancing. And of the, the robots include True Wealth, which I've signed up to. Um, the is it Credit Suisse just came out with one as well? Not uh, yet. CSX. Yeah, but it's, I think it's just payments and an account okay. for now. But I think they plan to to roll out a robo okay. offering in there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there's True Wealth, which is probably one of the oldest um, platforms here in Switzerland, at least, to to offer you a, a quite simple robo um, offering. I quite like um, the the Fontable offering, uh, the Vault, uh, which is an application but which you Vault, can get started for ten thousand. I think is Vault closer to True Wealth or to Swissquote? It's closer to True Wealth. Okay, it's, I mean okay. you, you pay in your money and it, okay, it, it does see. the thing for you. So I think with True Wealth you have to start with an initial investment of eight and a half k as well. Okay. But that, that's good to know. I think the thing is, look, the, the, even for those robo-advisors, the costs are going to be roughly similar. Um, but the thing is, if you were to buy individual ETFs via yes. a platform through Swissquote, they're going to be dramatically cheaper. Dramatically so, cheaper. So you, I would, you would say, look, if you're starting with something like, you know, 70 grand, it's probably bit upwards of 70 grand you're probably best off placing that, you know, with uh, more of a, a, a trading platform like, platform. like Swissquote. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, and whereas I would say like these robo advisors are probably beneficial with their fee of roughly 0.5% um, uh, up to about like what, 50 to 70 grand uh, to total investment. Mm -hmm. And then the fees start to add up and you might want to start placing that with a, with a, with a trading platform mm -hmm. like Swissquote. Or even interactive uh, usually they go down once you have a little bit of a bigger account. They usually give you a discount on the on the relative rate uh, of fees. Yeah, but yeah, I think you're raising a good direction here, which is that's your very first question you need to ask yourself before you get started. Are you the guy who wants to do it yourself? You know, you want to get started yourself. You pick in some ETFs and you just buy and hold those ETFs, and you also need to make sure. Every time you pay in that additional 500, 1,000, whatever you can save every month, 
you need to make sure you do then this trade, right? You have to be disciplined. You have to then invest that, that money. Or are you the guy, I don't have time for this, just <laughs> pay my money somewhere and they do the whole thing of rebalancing, reinvesting, the, you know, reinvesting my savings, reinvesting the dividends that come in. So somebody, a robo, takes care of that account. So that's your first question. You need to decide, are you the guy, am I doing it myself? Am I going to low cost? And that's why we're here to help. That's the direction I would go for because it's easy. Or am I the guy who wants to have a robo pay a little bit more over the long time, um, but you know, just pay and it's easy. You don't have to yeah. take care of it. And then obviously you have the wealth manager as well, which provides a lot more advice, but it comes with a lot more cost, right? Yeah. Um, and even though I hope we have some people like this in the audience, yeah. probably not our target audience, but exactly. absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So I think we'll go into platforms like Swissquote to, to, to in, in the future and, and yeah. learning a bit about, you know, what to consider when we're buying. Yeah. Um, but um, okay. So then I think the next question is how do I, I mean, I'm, as I, I assume as I learn more, I'll be more interested in playing around with things as well. And I may even come up to crypto. And I think let's not go down that rabbit hole of crypto today, yep. but look at it in the future. Um, but I would like to know um, where uh, I, I should start. So I've set up an account with True Wealth um, and I have an account with Swissquote. And um, I think we need to now develop a bit of a strategy, right? So I, I'm, I want to be putting in actively month to month, which is good to be actually putting in month uh, money in sporadically throughout, well, sorry, uh, throughout the year instead of just one lump sum because the market's constantly moving and it, ri ri you know, you, you spread your losses in case you, you, sure. you buy in high and it mm -hmm. drops, right? So, um, you know, is there sort of a, a standard framework? I'm familiar with Vanguard's briefly. Maybe you're, you want to talk a bit about that? or Yeah, absolutely. Vanguard is kind of the the father or at least Jack Bogle, which is the founder um, of, of Vanguard or was the founder of Vanguard. Um, he set up and Vanguard still lives up to those principles of investing. And I like to have this as a starting point, even though it's now, you know, copy paste and we tell you how they do it. But in the, get, in the end, it's quite universal and, and, you know, broadly applicable for everyone who gets started. Vanguard has four principles of investing and I like them because they're simple, everybody can understand them, and they're actually working. Principle number one, goals. You need to know what do you want to do, what is your what is your goal with those savings? You know, is it retirement? Is it I want to buy that house? Is it it doesn't have to be very specific, oh I want to buy this house for 1.1 billion with a mortgage. No, no, no. Just just investing in whatever is left. Time, so say. thinking of time timelines. Thinking of timeline, thinking, yeah. thinking of time horizon. Um, also thinking about, and am I okay to lose that money? Is it, you know, if it's gone, it's gone. Or, you know, this is for the long run. I want to put it away. It needs to be safe and, and steady growth. Okay, great. And so the next um, goal or, or key thing to consider here is the, the framework, right? We've just discussed goals. We've, we, we, we understand. But now how, how does the framework work towards those goals? So what are some of those considerations, Santi? Sure. So... Once you've set out your goals, once you know kind of where, where you want to go, um, this, is, this is the starting point or this is how your strategy will be defined. This is how, how you should invest uh, across multiple regions, across multiple asset classes. 
Um, literally building up that diversification in your portfolio. Your goal, your time horizon, your risk appetite defines how your portfolio is structured. How your so portfolio when you, is, is sorry, how your portfolio is divided between equities and fixed income, between bonds and shares. Um, because ultimately equity is your risk driver in your portfolio traditionally. But uh, bonds is kind of your risk. So uh, for our audience, yeah. equities and bonds may be a bit, bit, uh, a, a, a bit uh, unfamiliar. So I think we'll, we'll need to go into those. I really think mm. we, we, we're, we're really starting from the beginning here. So, um, but when we're talking about um, the balance, it's as you said, it's diversification. This is a risk factor, right? Things change in the market. Different economies perform at different times. If we look back to 2008, there was a major drop. Um, we have the opportunity, or I mean, those that bought uh, um, and then lost a lot of money in 2008 and then were forced to sell, um, you know, were in a, a really, a really diff difficult situation. So they lost a lot of money. Um, now, the, 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 the diversification um, also is, if we look at what's going on with, with Asia or China and uh, America at the moment and, and post-COVID, right, or, or during COVID, the, the Chinese economy is performing um, much better than the U.S. economy. It's bouncing back. Um, so you might want to spread across the regional uh, or global markets for, for this sort of situation, mm -hmm. right? And then there's the other sort of types of, of investments that you're, you're buying. I mean... Why do we diversify in the first place? And you, you, you hit it uh, on the head there. We diversify because when something, when an economy is doing bad, another one probably is doing okay. Or let's put it more into a perspective of asset classes. If equities perform well, bonds tend to perform less so. If equities perform really bad, bonds tend to outperform or tend to uh, perform really good um, so what that means for you is your portfolio and if it's well diversified across asset classes and across regions because like you say uh, sometimes different economies have different pace if it's nicely diversified you get um, a certain stability into your in your portfolio this is stability this is what you want because you do not like drawdowns you don't like to lose money in your portfolio you just have to like you say, you always say steady growth, right? So diversification allows you to have the stability in your portfolio. Some even say, I only have bonds in my portfolio so I can buy equities. If you know what I mean, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's, it's literally bonds allow you to take on some risk because they tend to do well in bad markets because money goes, money, money always has to go somewhere. Money has to be invested always. You cannot keep cash institutional money and needs to go somewhere. If they go out of equities, they go into bonds, driving up the prices of bonds. So that's kind of why you also should, once you have you set up your goals, once you know what this ratio between equities, bonds, and maybe also alternative assets in the future, we're going to come into that. Um, what are your ratios between equities and bonds? That's your, that's your risk driver. That's how, um, yeah, that's basically your composition in the portfolio. And then you can break it down as well. Uh, in equities, you go regional, like you said, um, you go regional diversification uh, ac uh, across in your portfolio. But that's really how you set up a balanced strategy that allows you to, okay. to pursue your goals. Yeah. So for, it, it, it's, 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 I think it's quite straightforward and quite clear. I mean, I guess this is also the stability, right? So 
you, you also buy into these things and you, you hold steady. And, and we'll probably come into that and, and discipline, uh, which is a, a bit more a goal further on. But um, someone in my situation, you know, is there a standard sort of approach? I mean, am I, how, how much should I go into that stable um, investment uh, overview uh, in comparison to, say, um, you know, buying individual stocks based on things that I'm aware of in the market. You know, I have, an, I have certain interests, I pay certain attention to certain different types of businesses, and I can't help as I, and I also want to learn, right? I want to learn mm. how this thing works. Um, and I think that probably will make me a better investor over the long term. How much should I be putting aside for that? Maybe it's also crypto. It's a, it's a trending topic. It's interesting to be involved. Um, However, I know it's going to have an impact on my return, so I shouldn't really make it the essence of everything I do. Mm. So I think a good rule of thumb, and then we're really, I mean, it's super basic now what I'm saying, but a nice rule of thumb, and I think this works, and I'm sure others are saying this as well, but take your age, minus 10, and that gives you, gives you your allocation to bonds that gives you your allocation to fixed income to the to, to boring stuff. In so I'm, I'm 28 yes. minus 10, yes. 18, yes. 18% yes. to bonds. Yes. Okay, interesting. That's it. So if I was 50 minus 10, 40% bonds. Yes. And that's because they are secure, they're steady. The older you're getting, the more you need to be preparing for retirement, the more stable you need to be. Whereas in my, in my late 20s, I have a few more risks. Okay. Absolutely. The closer you get to retirement, the less risks you should have. You cannot afford to lose money towards the end of your work life. Yeah. I mean, just just before your retirement, you should not lose too much money because you will, you'll need that money. The more you have of it, the better you take out risk yeah. towards the end. That's why this rule of thumb of age minus 10, and I'm, I'm, I updated it, the rule being... <laughs> The minus 10 just came in lately uh, due to the super low interest rates. So meaning you need to have a bit more um, equities uh, earlier on. Um, equities it used to be, it used to be kind of your, yeah. your age equal to fixed income. I think now it's more suitable to take your age minus 10 um, because literally fixed income, at least if you look at um, uh, in, in investment grades, so the high grade corporate bonds, they don't pay anything anymore. So literally uh, you just have more stability in your portfolio. So H minus 10 is, is a good rule to start. And the rest you fill up with equities. Uh, and there, of course, not any equity. Take, take broadly diversified ETF, uh, ETFs, which are, and now we're going to go into the third uh, discipline or the third principle of investing, um, which, is, which is cost. Something we've already touched on as yeah. well. It's a very sensitive topic, right? It's different if you're, you have many millions to invest, whereas, you know, if you're only playing around with a few thousand, um, you, the, the costs eat away, right? So it's something we, and it's something we've already considered, right? We talked about true wealth and robo advisors. We've talked about Swiss quote. Um, what we're trying to do is, is find the cheapest possible solution so that the returns are higher. Um, and we'll probably go into that a bit more, but more specifically, what kind of costs should we be considering? Because mm. I assume it's just like transferring money. You know, I recently transferred some money from New Zealand to here. The bank offered me an exchange rate, which when I checked the real exchange rate was shocking. You know, I was going <laughs> to lose something like a thousand francs. Yep. Um, and a lot of people don't really realize that there's a cost involved in that exchange rate. They also see the fee of 20 francs. Yeah. They don't think about the percentage. So, 
So when we focus on, on uh, cost and investing, it's, I think the components you need to look out for if you're getting started is, uh, is twofold. One is uh, the topic we, we briefly touched on is the, is the transaction costs, the brokerage costs. How much does it cost um, to buy something or to sell something? The other element of cost is product costs. And this is something where um, it gets super interesting when you look at ETFs and, and funds. All these ETFs and funds, they have a certain cost. If you're choosing those ETFs, make sure to choose a super low cost ETF, something and from can... iShares. iShares, their core line is kind of the cheapest one. Or we have Vanguard, which is across the board pretty pretty cheap in terms of and you can compare um, those costs by looking at other options out there right and yeah absolutely i mean in, in the end if you look at an etf from two providers but they follow the same index yeah it's i mean it's more or less the same thing okay and one is but cheaper than the other. we'll go into that in a bit more when absolutely. we look at buying specific etfs yes. so that's a it's an important one to consider and and the final discipline Oh, the final principle, principle <laughs> is discipline, right? Exactly. And that's that long-term horizon we were talking about and, 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 and staying true to what, what you initially set out to do. It's, it sounds so easy. It's, got, it's the hardest one of, the, of the, all the principles because it's where the emotions kick in. And if you see things like GameStonk, if you, you want to participate, you want to do this, right? Because it gives you so much more return. Just don't stay disciplined. You have a strategy, you have, you have a goal laid out, you have a strategy formalized, you have a portfolio uh, compositioned. Stay disciplined, keep your strategy, adjust it a little bit here and there, of course. Stay disciplined, keep investing, keep investing that savings you put away every month. Uh, I mean, I, I caught myself all the time with this where, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I'm just going to wait another week, another month, another year. Market's going to come down, I'm going to go in then. Mm. Unfortunately, just you know, stay disciplined. Just just keep investing in it uh, over the long. It's road. almost becoming robotic, bad. right? Yeah, doing that's why robots are so popular. They do this discipline for you without emotion. Exactly. exactly. Okay. Yeah. So key things here, and I think something for everyone to think about when they when they're at the beginning stages of thinking about you know what what steps to take next is your um, your goals, what you want to achieve. For me, it's a sort of a I'm going to reevaluate in ten years, but I, I'm looking to maybe buy some property or, or save for my retirement. Um, and then uh, the second one is um, diversification. So looking at you know stable things like bonds and equities and, and what, what stocks we want to go into um, and using perhaps maybe something secure to start out with like a robo-advisor and starting to explore then with, with a, a trading app like a Swissquote or Interactive Brokers. Um, and then um, what was the third one, Santi? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had costs, right? Yeah. Balance. Yes, costs. 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 Yes. So always looking for the. That's something we're really focused on. We're looking, and that's what's changing in the industry. And then finally, it's um, the the discipline. So staying true to what you set out to do, and almost becoming robotic about it, so yeah. you take out the emotion. Yeah. All right. Wow. Okay. So what what can we start to think about next week? I guess we should be thinking about kicking things off with maybe a first robo advisor and looking at the different situations and availabilities. Yeah, I think it really now boils down to think about your goals. I mean, first of all, you Orlando, um, think about your goals. Um, and also, of course, the listeners, why do you even want to start investing? Uh, find that answer. Um, and then we're going to talk about, depending on your goal, we're going to give you a couple of examples. Um, depending on your goal, how can you actually get started with compiling that portfolio, that very first one? What are the components? 
what are the choices? Great. Can't wait. So with that, thank you so much, Santi. I feel like I've learned so much already. Um, and I, I will be looking forward to listening over to this uh, once or twice myself. But um, yeah, we, we look forward to talking to you in a, in a few weeks. Perfect. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Orlando. That's all for today's episode on Investing Switzerland. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts.